This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, welcome to Breaking Bread. This is the show where we explore food through culture, conversations, and a whole lot of curiosity. I'm your host, Lo Yi Jun, a food writer and recipe developer from the Jun and Tonic blog. Every week on this show, we dive deep into an aspect of food in Malaysia, from speaking to chefs and restaurateurs about their restaurants, to exploring the origins of certain dishes, to geeking out over tasty discussions with food friends or experts. Our guests on this week's show are James Wong and Matthias Liu, the co-founders of Uina, a premium craft beverage company from Sabah. Uina first got popular through their ginger beers back in 2018. They were a huge hit from the get-go, and their ginger beers even made it to select restaurants and stores here in West Malaysia. But since then, they've grown beyond a one-drink company, and are looking to do big things, all the while championing Sabahan produce. So today, we'll be talking about their story, what makes their Tambunan ginger beers so special, and where they're headed for the future. So without further ado, Here's James and Matthias from Uina. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Hi June, pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for having us on the show. Hi Jun, nice to meet you Jun. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure to, to have you guys on. So, I actually heard about your brand and had your drinks, in particular your, your ginger land or, or ginger drink. Um, and this was like two years ago, so you guys have been around for quite some time. But let's go back to your beginnings. Yeah, Tell us about how you got into this whole uh, beverage business. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll just kick, kick off. Um, so basically, when I was uh, studying my master's in architecture in New Zealand about Wow, this is, this is what, 15 years ago. Uh, ginger beer, Bundaberg ginger beer has always been a staple drink for us in New Zealand. And I used to have it all the time. I loved it because it had that Asian kind of um, reminder of home in the way where we're mm. cooking in Chinese cuisine. We always have ginger. But yeah, I used to love ginger beer. Uh, and the thing is that when I came back uh, from New Zealand uh, to Malaysia to work, and start our own um, cons- uh, design and build construction uh, company. I was quite saddened with the fact that um, whenever you go to souvenir shops in Sabah, so many of the products were not even Sabahan. So we, I just thought, hey, you know, we have such great quality natural raw ingredients. Uh, why don't we improve or, or add value to some of the products that we have? and to create something new and fresh. And so that's where my good buddy, uh, childhood friend, Matthias, uh, mm. you know, I was just sharing some drinks along and I was saying, hey, bro, you want to you know, you wanna make this into a business plan uh, and to really work together to kind of take it off uh, or, or just give it a shot? And he was all in it. He, he just put his time in it. And uh, he, uh, each weekend we did, at the back of my mum's uh, kitchen, just made heaps of different hundreds, <laughs> about a hundred different types of um, uh, 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 recipes, and and that's how we basically started. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a very like local success story, and and I I also heard that or I read that like in the beginning, you you guys were selling your beers at like markets, and and it was all these 
aunties and uncles who were like, oh, this drink is so great. And you guys were running out of, of stock really quickly. How how was that period like for, for you guys? Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, going back to when James first introduced me to uh, the ginger beer idea. So it all, it all started when James came and said, Matt, do you, do you want to try something new? Like, because not everyone is a ginger lover. They don't really like the taste originally. So I was a bit on, on the resistance side about James came on. He's quite persuasive. And I said, Matt came on trying, so I came on trying. And I said, okay, let's let's give it a go. And then I'm like, hmm, okay. I still need more convincing to really get deeper into this. So let, like what James <laughs> said, um, yeah, we come into conclusion. Let's purchase a um, few, few hundred glass bottles from KL. Uh, flew over while while hand carrying it, those kind of things, and then yeah, we we our wife basically was helping us cooking, uh, filling it up uh, on the bottles, chilling it, uh, purchasing all the stickers, and then yeah, when we first tried it, tried to sell it at uh, Jesselton Artisan Market, it was a two days event, and. The night before, I was like, nah, James, don't worry. We wouldn't finish everything. We, we have 800 bottles. And then we were saying like, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We, we, we don't have to carry everything. We can just keep some in, in, in the house. But we ended up just bring, bring everything to the event. Uh, remember the first day, the event starts from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. And found out that, damn, by 10 a.m. until 2 p.m., we were already like down to balance of maybe 400 bottles left. Oh, so wow. 400 bottles just went out just that quick. And then, yeah, so I said, hey, hold, hold everything. If not, we wouldn't have any bottles for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, back to, back to your uh, question saying that, yeah, how, how do people react to the, to the taste of ginger and react to the brand new kind of drinks? Because uh, we realized that no one is actually producing uh, ginger beer in Malaysia. So it's uh, something new in the market. It's not like just another cookies or chocolate or orange juice. So uh, yeah, when we found out that the, everyone kind of like loved the taste and we feel like, okay, there is there's something here. And then we realized that it's not only those old, old aunties or uncles that, you know, they only they can really appreciate the taste of ginger when they use it for cooking or drinking tea. But we did did. I realized that some youngsters like uh, between the age of 18 to 21, 22, they got excited. Like, oh, let's try. Everyone was like purchasing. And then, yep, that, that's just, that's how, how it uh, builds up the hype from there. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, the younger people, well, like James, uh, James, you were into Bundaberg's uh, ginger beer from the very beginning. And um, yeah, was was that like the taste profile that you started off with and, and referred to in your initial ginger beers or how did the whole R&D process go? I suppose the heart of it was the fact that we didn't see that many homegrown uh, quality or well-branded beverage products out there found Sabah. Uh, and so that's where we just did a whole load of random R&D looking for recipes online. And But since I love ginger beer, I thought, hey, you know, I could have this all the time. This, this was the one that kind of stuck out. But we did hundreds. I mean, we did. We played around with kapas, with lemongrass, with uh, all sorts of different ingredients. But we came down to when we wanted to launch something commercially, uh, we decided to go for this uh, ginger land. Um, uh, what we realized in the beginning was was this whole concept of the word beer. Actually, of course, it's not a beer, a bit like root beer, right? 
uh, root beer has no alcohol in it whatsoever. Uh, and so initially, um, you know, some, some people wasn't really sure how to react or uh, whether to even give it a try. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that especially the old aunties, because they saw the word ginger, Wow, they went crazy. We thought, we thought it would be a young drink. And then these aunties, you know, uh, buying it all for their friends, loving it, enjoying it. We even had, um, it was funny, we even had uh, a lot of confinement ladies after giving birth. They were like literally messaging us, calling us on the phone. It's like, where's my ginger beer? And we're like, sorry, sorry, we're out of stock. We're out of stock. So uh, that's what launched us onto this journey, you know, uh, from a lo- love for Saba. And a love for um, you know one thing and the and, and observing that really we have great quality natural raw ingredients, but poor product development or uh, branding, and we mm. wanted to create a local Sabahan product, and th- and that's how we just started. And so so now from from that I suppose uh, Uina is much more than just a ginger land or a ginger beer kind of brand we are actually focusing on developing many, many more local Sabahan or local Malaysian products uh, to be able to eventually export, hopefully, to the world. Mm, yeah, and, and I can totally see that, well, in your website and in a lot of your marketing, that you are beyond just this one product of, of having this ginger beer or, or ginger land. Yeah. Um, and you're really, truly trying to push for Sabahan produce, right? Like like you have your uh, new like Roselle drink. But going back to the ginger beer or, or ginger land, your ginger is marketed as like, oh, you, you use Tambunan ginger, which, which makes me wonder, what is special about Tambunan ginger? Because over here in, I guess, like Peninsula Malaysia, we always hear of like, oh, bentong ginger, <laughs> which is like a really popular kind of ginger and it's a lot spicier. But Tambunan ginger isn't as well known over on this side of, of Malaysia. So can you describe to us like how it tastes and what's special about it? Yeah, okay. I, I, I wouldn't want to like give 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 like which which ginger is better but i can i can explain to you how tambunan ginger was planted and how it was mm. harvested okay uh tambunan is basically located at the south side of the crocker range you know mount kinabalu uh, tambunan is on the south part of it and you take this hill a big hill and you divide it into five Area number one, two, three, four, and five. So how they harvest it is like after they finish harvesting at area number one, they'll move on to area number two, number three, number four, number five. But the only time that they can go back to area number one to start replanting it is only after four to five years. All right. Oh. So it, because because the ginger had already absorbed all the nutrition from from the land, so they, they do not want to use any. Uh, pesticides or any fertilizer to like enhance it or something like that. They want it naturally to recover. And mm. yeah, talking about... So it's doing like crop rotation. Correct, almost. correct. So that what right. that what's make Tambunan ginger a bit more special compared to the other commercial ginger that we can find in the market. And we can definitely taste the difference. I mean, just cutting cutting uh, different ginger and tambunan ginger, when you look into it, you, you can't really see the big difference. But if you taste it and you make it into a drink or soup or something, yeah, you can definitely taste the difference from there. Yeah. Mm. So we actually, yeah, we actually really like, okay, is it really that special? And then why was it like a bit pricey for tambunan ginger? James and I actually went to the family farm that we uh, contract with them. And then we stayed on the hill 
for almost like for one night just to absorb how they how they plant how they harvest it and then yeah it's 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 very it's very different it's not that it's not like a roadside where you can just park your car and then go to your go to your farm and just no it's it's a hilly area where you definitely need a four-wheel drive to to go up there as well uh, yeah 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 wow just building off from what matt was saying this these Tambunan village folk and, and Kampung folk, they've been doing this for generations. As, as Matt was saying, when we go to a lot of the supermarkets nowadays and we buy ginger, a lot of it is really swollen. Uh, a lot of it's, let's say, imported ginger. And what we understand from the ginger manufacturing process, especially from mass-produced uh, ginger, is that um, it's done in a lot of these factory farms where they grow the same crop. Uh, in the same location. so But with Tambunan, with this whole rotation farming, they never use the soil that's the same year, year after year. So the quality of nutrients that you're getting is incredible, where you're getting fresh new nutrients and soil every single time. Uh, a second reason is that a lot of ginger that um, uh, is, is harvested uh, uh, around the world, normally takes about five to seven months before harvesting. But for us, we have, after our R&D uh, over the past few years, uh, the way we're able to achieve that real pure, powerful ginger spicy kick is that we actually ensure that through our contract farming and in our contracts and in our quality control, we actually make sure that they only harvest after 10 months. So you're getting really old, pure, spicy uh, ginger, right? Right. The third reason, I think, as Matt pointed out, uh, being the quality of the soil, the volcanic soil being on the Crockett Range, this this soil from Mount Kinabalu and the Crockett Range is, is really rich. And also the topography. So ginger needs, uh, especially organic ginger, that is harvested and planted without any pesticides and planted organically needs to be planted on a steep topography so that the roots are able to really uh, catch hold and uh, is able to grow without that you know uh, internal pressure of going deep so that's why that hilly topography plus the steep slopes and the generations that have been and the experience and the and the mastery of these guys being able to uh, do this for generations we feel after our, our our we've been we've tried so many types of ginger and we felt that this tambunan ginger is really a gem that we wanted to celebrate because that's what Uina is about celebrating the local natural raw ingredients of Malaysia to be able to add value to it do product development with international branding and export it to the world. Something that all Malaysians can be proud of. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and I can definitely like taste the uh, extra kick that <laughs> this uh, tamburan ginger has yeah. well, in, in your drink. And yeah, it, it definitely exudes like a lot of quality and, and it is a gem of a produce. But I was also wondering like, do you feel like it's a struggle or it's a delicate balance between retaining the amount of quality you have from from these produce versus um, scaling up, you know, having larger quantities of, of uh, your your drinks and, and trying to get it to the masses. I, I guess my question is like, when you compare yourself to commercial beverage companies out there, how can you compete without the economies of scale? 
before we continue our conversation, we are going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Breaking Bread. Let's pick up where we left off. I've been speaking with James and Matthias from Oina, a premium craft beverage brand from Sabah. We've been talking about their start and what makes their Tambudan ginger beer so special, but now we're turning our focus to more current issues, talking about how they plan to compete with bigger beverage brands out there. Do you feel like it's a struggle or it's a delicate balance between retaining the amount of quality you have from from these produce versus um, scaling up, you know, having larger quantities of, of uh, your your drinks and, and trying to get it to the masses. I, I guess my question is like, when you compare yourself to commercial beverage companies out there, how can you compete without the economies of scale? Yeah. So I think um, on a ethical standpoint, I think that's no issue for us because our brand stands for body, mind and soul. And a big part of our brand is to be able to really use uh, these quality natural raw ingredients to be able to share with the world. So so I think our intention is always uh, to be able to retain that uh, level of quality. Um, but in the process of scaling up, I suppose the challenge has always been how do you increase volume but be able to retain the craftsmanship and the fine quality control of, let's say, a, a small kitchen, you know. So, so we were operating from a kitchen for quite a while, for about uh, at least eight months to a year, until uh, we had several investors who were very keen to be able to take this uh, and, and partner with us to take this globally. And that's where we moved into a large capacity factory where we're able to almost manufacture up to maybe 2 million bottles per year kind of thing. Mm. So we're in that kind of facility now. So I suppose the challenge is, is in that production process, how do we design it in such a way that we're able to still maintain uh, that uh, level of quality? So that's, always, that's something that we are on a constant R&D process, but we will never compromise uh, you know, quality over this uh, quantity thing. But the other challenge that we face is uh, pricing. So, so because we don't compromise at all uh, by harvesting the ginger 10 months rather than 5 to 6 months, of course the cost of, of, of our product is far more expensive than uh, those companies, let's say, using ginger that have been harvested only 5 months because uh, the 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 time it takes, the amount of effort. We're using glass bottles because we want to also be sustainable with zero waste as, as much as possible. We even go through efforts of um, using the waste uh, ginger or waste roselle uh, for making soap and things like that or passing it to other NGOs to recycle and use it for other products. So of course, throughout this process, to be able to um, retain those brand promises, uh, our cost is definitely going to be higher, our base cost. So if you, it, we cannot compare our kind of product with, let's say, mass-produced, global 
big big products, you know, uh, like like I don't know, like a soft drink or something. Uh, because with all these additional costs, we're definitely still a premium crafted beverage. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you guys have have really managed to secure like a niche in that industry for yourself there. But um, just to tie uh, our conversation to more, I guess, current issues, uh, just wondering how has the pandemic been for you guys? Because you guys have a big chunk of your sales in B2B. And then there was like a big initial reduction with the first and the second MCO, right, last year. Uh, how have you like gotten over that? And, and how are you going to cope with this lockdown that we're in right now? Yeah, uh, June, I think I, uh, we just have to be completely honest with you that like many other businesses who have gone through this whole challenge of MCO um, and that there's been a huge drop in the number of tourists coming to Sabah, definitely our business has been impacted in a major way. So even with uh, all our scaling up activities of being able to uh, be ready for at least 2 million bottles per year production, uh, when we were not able to go to a lot of those expos overseas, uh, we had people from China, Japan calling us, from Singapore wanting to order from us. Even uh, even now that we are probably the only halal certified botanical craft beverage uh, company in the world, right? There is probably no other halal certified botanical craft beverage in the world at this stage because uh, our process is very different from other soft drinks. We're definitely not a soft drink. We're a botanical craft beverage. We even have Arabic countries interested that we've been getting leads from. So yeah, definitely this MCO has restricted all that where we were unable to send samples and a lot of our material. Uh, and it has been a real challenge. And, and I'm sure it has been a huge challenge for other businesses affected by tourism or um, or, or this this whole, whole situation. Um, but the way we've been able to mitigate that is that we have been able to successfully diversify uh, into uh, creating other interesting products and selling it locally. So that's why we've been moving into uh, premium honey, Kululut honey that a lot of people, everybody knows that it's uh, Kululut is great for uh, beauty, complexion, and the skin. Yeah, people are going crazy over. Yeah, honey. so so we we are starting. We're just about to launch Kululut honey. We've got ginger powder, uh, ten month old pure old ginger powder. So not just manufactured into the drink. We we're in the process of looking into sparkling water. Uh, we're looking into uh, uh, even a honey. Uh, pineapple drink, honey sticks. Uh, we've got a lot more in the pipeline and that's where we've been, even, been able to pivot in a way and sell locally and uh, within Malaysia. And so hopefully it will reach uh, uh, KL uh, very soon in the next few months. <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I think that's a really smart move that you guys are diversifying into uh, these related markets, but they're still like unique products that, that are different from each other. Yeah, that's, that's a really smart move. And uh, just to end, do you have like a message for other brands out there and perhaps for, for consumers as well? Do you have a message for them about Sabahan produce? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely like what James said, it, it's been very hard for us. And I understand a lot of other small businesses, entrepreneurs have been struggling as well. But I think most importantly, just believe in, believe in your dream. I think if you have sacrificed so much just to build 
a certain brand up to this stage, <laughs> I think giving up just like that is not is not really an option. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Don't don't give up just yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and um, some a really a really important point you touched on, June, was the whole um, community empowerment aspect of when we do business, right? So for us, our brand, and maybe we can share a little bit more deeper on, on another day, uh, compri- comprises of three main areas. The body, which is healthy ingredients. The mind, which is through our marketing, a sense of escapism and beautiful, pristine uh, aspects of Borneo, Sabah, and Malaysia. And the soul part, which is what you've been touching on, uh, being the community empowerment aspect of why why do we wake up each morning uh, or why are we a part of creating a business? Uh, what drives us, the why behind it? Uh, so this is the soul part where we believe, mm. we really sincerely believe that in Sabah, we have rich quality natural ingredients and beautiful people, right? Uh, and so that's where we take that special effort. We don't go through middlemen. We go directly to the farmers, especially women uh, farmers with uh, and women communities who have their own family to provide for. Uh, and we, as Matt said, we spend days out in the jungle. We spend days with them up there, eating together with them, trying to understand, to learn from them, know their kids' names, hear about the stories, about uh, uh, where they've come from. And so um, I suppose the encouragement that we would give to other Malaysian or Sabah business owners would be that never forget the why of why you do what you do, right? Never forget uh, why you're doing this. And, you know, it it has been a huge and incredible, yet wonderful, yet challenging journey. But during those times, it's important to remember um, the why behind it. And so whatever comes, whatever comes, comes as it may. But at least you knew you gave it your best shot. And when we conduct business, we conduct business with integrity and to do it, uh, you know, and to impact those local communities around us as much as we can. So, mm, so yeah. that's, I, I suppose, that that's what I would advise that. Mm, yeah, that's a really poetic way of putting it. And I really love the analogy with like the mind, body and soul and, and your description of interacting with these communities and, and really championing them uh, is a really idyllic, um, soul nourishing almost uh, experience. And and once we're all in a better place with uh, this pandemic, yeah, I, I hope to to go to Sabah one day and then, yeah, yeah, I haven't been in a, in a long time. Eh? Yeah, so I'll go there and uh, yeah, check you guys out. Cool. Well, thanks so much uh, for your time today to the both of you. And yeah, thanks thanks so much again for sharing your story. Thanks so much, June. Uh, we're very, very grateful to BFM featuring uh, local Sabahans. I think you guys are doing such a fantastic job. We need more of this uh, support of local businesses. Uh, and, and, you know, thanks so much for your time and, and, and trying to feature us and, and getting in touch with us. We're very grateful for you. Thank you so much, June. Yeah, pleasures of mine. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Jun. That is all for this week's show. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or on the BFM app. 
And if you're hungry for more food news and fun recipes, you can keep up to date with me on Instagram. I'm at Jun and Tonic, that's J-U-N dot A-N-D dot T-O-N-I-C. This is Jun signing off. You've been listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.